0: We hear the expression, find your voice, quite a lot. In fact, I'm not even sure we all agree on what that phrase really even means. But for our purposes here, let's just go ahead and define it as the courage to speak from your own uniqueness and individuality. That's how I would define finding your voice. But this phrase seems to be shorthand for this one single magic moment when everything falls into place and we find the courage to speak in a way that's fresh and original. And in so finding our voices, the world rises up to meet us and welcomes us in all of our new and dazzling authenticity. And so is born our very own personal brand. And then voila, the Instagram likes start happening. We become Overnight successes, right? This is kind of the subtext of the phrase, finding your voice, right? But it's never that simple, is it? Here's what I really believe as a communication coach. You find your voice when you become willing to transcend the rules of the tribe. We live inside of a paradox. We spend, if you think about it, the first like 18 years of our lives learning the rules of the tribe, and by tribe, I mean community, family, culture, friend group, whatever. And then we spend the rest of our lives attempting to live beyond those rules. Or maybe we keep the rules that bear fruit and work for us and ditch those that don't, creating new rules to better suit us, right? And the destinies we feel called to fulfill. And that assignment is real. Because the best expression of you is only possible when you've broken free of your need to fit in, to please, to measure up. Now I've seen people attempt to find their voice by forcing a kind of faux uniqueness on themselves, kind of like appropriating what they think are behaviors or affectations that are interesting or quirky versus doing the actual work of developing their own voice. And as we just mentioned, that work ain't easy, right? It means stepping outside the tribe. And this this sort of faux uniqueness, faux authenticity game. I remember when I was in college, I met this girl, this woman, sorry, she was, she was a woman. And she would play CDs and then she'd look at me and be like, hey, see the CD? Can you hear this music? See how quirky it is? See how weird it is? I like music that most people don't know about. See? I mean, she would actually say that, and it just, it stuck with me because I feel like there are those temptations to do things that would be quirky and associated with uniqueness, but that aren't actually who we are. They're not coming from a place of risk and vulnerability and authenticity. They're coming from a place of trying to act like someone who's unique and has found their voice, right? It's like the person that goes to Burning Man, not because they're actually interested in the spiritual journey of it, but because it's a spectacle and they perceive the interesting people go to Burning Man. So they go to Burning Man, right? Now, side note, I've never been to Burning Man. I'm really sad about it because (laughs) had I been younger when it became like more something I would have heard of, I would have been all over that, like white on rice. But the fact is, by the time I heard about Burning Man, I was like, I was married. I was starting to have kids. You know, I just missed the Burning Man train. So maybe I'm just bitter. But But you know what I mean, right? There's people that are down with that because it comes from deep within them, right? They're they're just, they're pulled at a molecular level to that community. And other people are just freaking fronting, right? Can I get an amen? Anyway, you know who I'm talking about. And these are people who are aching to be seen. They're aching to stand out. But they're also unconsciously or maybe even consciously avoiding the real work. And by real work, I mean what the Jungian psychology tradition calls individuation. And based on my understanding of what they mean by individuation, it's a kind of psychological and spiritual maturity, right? It's that process of knowing when to fit into the norms of the tribe or of the culture and when to stick your neck out, when to run with the pack, when to fly solo, when to consume sort of whatever is popular wisdom, and when to just turn inwards for guidance. Individuation, my friends, is the call of the wild. Right, It's the holler of the outlaw. And as Bob Dylan once crooned in one of his songs, to live outside the law, you must be honest, which is just another way of saying that individuation is a call to live according to what I think is the only code that matters. And that is integrity and fidelity to self. And I'm not talking about little self. I'm not talking about ego self, but big self, where I believe our divinity is hiding. This is so funny. My dog is in the in the room recording with me, and you can hear him like growling. I'm I'm gonna pretend that he's growling like an amen. Bowie, Bowie, knock it off. <laughs> but I believe our divinity, that higher power that is whatever energy is pulsing through this magnificent, bizarre universe, that energy is pulsing through us too, and it's waiting for us to go inward so that our adult lives can actually begin, right? That big self, to me, is where our divinity lives. And I think this is why we're so compelled by the lives of people like Freddie Mercury and Patti Smith or Shirley Chisholm. There is just such a deep honesty to the way they lived, or in Patti Smith's case, live, present tense, the way they live their lives. And if you don't know, the name Shirley Chisholm. You will soon because they're making a movie about her, which is awesome. But she was the first black woman elected to Congress in 1968. Can you imagine? She represented New York's 12th congressional district for seven terms from 1969 to 1983, seven terms. And it wasn't Barack Obama, who was the first African-American to make a serious play for the presidency. It wasn't even Jesse Jackson. It was Shirley Chisholm. Incredible. And guess what her first ever campaign slogan was? Unbought and unbossed. People, that should be our slogan for 2019. Unbought and unbossed. Grown and sexy, doing our own goddamn thing. I, I... Let me just pause here for a moment, though, before I get too carried away. If you are about to make a move beyond the tribe, and that move beyond the tribe is literally dangerous, not figuratively, but literally, like let's say you're a gay teenager in a family that will kick you out for being you, please go find support for yourself before you move forward. Or lay low until you're old enough to get yourself to college. Find allies to help you or house you or whatever you need. Don't do anything until you have a plan to keep yourself safe, okay? There's a million ways to get help. Just to clarify that, the last thing I want is for somebody to move out and something terrible to happen because of the 20 Minutes with Bronwyn podcast. And I'm not trying to make light of this. I really fucking worry about stuff like that. Anyway, back to Freddie Mercury, Patti Smith, and women like Shirley Chisholm. When you study their lives, you see that these are people who give greater weight to their own inner sense of integrity and less weight to the opinion of others. And in so doing, they open the gates to the extraordinary. And by opening the gates to the extraordinary, I mean that there seems to be a powerful vacuum created by the absence of fucks given about tribal expectations. Sorry, not sorry for swearing. I believe that the vacuum created by giving zero fucks about cultural expectations becomes the source of our own uniqueness, the source of our powerful and extremely individual voice or voices, I guess I would say. In physics, there's that well-known concept that nature abhors a vacuum. And abhor is a really strong word. It means to regard with horror or disgust. I mean, I looked it up just to be sure because I was like, abhor is a really strong word. Because I believe when it comes to human consciousness and development, when we speak in terms of individuation, let's say, I have this nagging suspicion that nature does not abhor a vacuum. Nature's been waiting for a vacuum. Life is waiting for us to finally stop giving so many Fs. Because once we stop giving so many Fs, the absence of Fs creates that vacuum. And what rushes in to fill it is that divine energy, God, the universe, the muse, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't mind, rushes in to fill it with fresh ideas and the force of will required to realize those ideas. That vacuum, I believe, is sacred. It is freedom. It is magic. It is where Big U rubs its hands like hell's yes, finally, let's get down to work. Remember, big you comes forward when you feel safe. Remember that original podcast episode, right? But here's the other paradox. I think the ultimate feeling of psychological safety comes from realizing that no one is safe. We all experience agony and pain and shame and suffering and crippling terror in this lifetime. And guess what? We are all going to die someday. No one gets out alive, right? Right. One of the greatest pieces of advice I ever received as a young person came from this complete wild man I used to work for. And we were about to launch something. And as our pep talk, he said to us, let me tell you how the story ends. They put you in a hole in the ground and they throw dirt on your face. And it took me a minute to realize he was talking about death. I mean, we were in a marketing meeting. Really? (laughs) But the message was clear. Go for it. Take it all the way. Give it all you got. Because what else can we do? And I've never forgotten that and the special kind of permission you feel when somebody reminds you that we're all going to die someday. Might as well go balls out. And knowing this creates a kind of safety. You realize that if all of us are doomed to leave these skin suits after an unspecified amount of time, could be tomorrow, could be when we're 90, it only makes you realize that no one has a clue about what's right for you in your particular skin suit. Only you know. And if on some level, you're listening to this thinking, yeah, but I just <laughs> I just have a really strong need to be liked. I need to belong. I hate feeling like I'm missing out or excluded. People will think I'm a freak if I say what I really want to say or live the way I really want to live. Or what if I hurt people with the truth that I have to express? If this sounds familiar, this is what I want you to know. That strong need to be liked isn't who you are, it's scar tissue. It's a defense mechanism developed over time, you know, to cope with the existential dread of being human and suffering, right? And the experience of being hurt by someone else's truth, that fear that you're going to hurt someone with your truth, that's part of being human too. But here's the thing, the gift of being hurt by someone else's truth is that you heal and grow stronger because of it. And it teaches you to release them to their paths. And then you really start to shift into high gear and experience the moment of your own freedom, having released someone to their own freedom. It can be exhilarating if you've got the guts to perceive it this way. It can also be agony. And I say this with great humility because sometimes I have the guts to perceive it this way and sometimes I do not. And I cling like crazy and experience all the pain, all the suffering, all the feels Listen, all this to say, if you're holding back your authentic self, your voice, your vision, your truth, whatever, out of fear of hurting someone, you're denying them of this powerful experience of having to release you to your path. And as for your fear of missing out, your FOMO, and your worry that if you leave the tribe, they'll exclude you from the reindeer games, I'd be willing to wager that even when you are included in those reindeer games, even when you do adhere to all the rules and you're... St- I- I- I'm guessing that you're still not satisfied, fulfilled, or even happy. Because sometimes those tribal reindeer games, they kind of (laughs) suck. And you're like, why did I want to get invited to this? This isn't that fun. I'd rather be doing something different, right? Here's the bottom line. You didn't incarnate to play small. You incarnated to experience certain things, exercise certain gifts, and feel all kinds of feels up to and including joy, bliss, heartbreak, betrayal, all of it. So quit pretending like it's your job to stay in a box so no one gets their feelings hurt. Life hurts, right? Life hurts. But you know what? Life also brings a very special kind of bliss generated by following your own inner knowing. And we don't have a word for it in English, but if you've seen Bohemian Rhapsody and you see that final concert scene when Freddie Mercury is fully absorbing the rapture of hearing 72,000 people sing Bohemian Rhapsody back to him. That song that the music industry said would never go anywhere. That song that the tribe rejected. Freddie Mercury is getting to feel that kind of bliss. The bliss generated by giving zero fucks and allowing God to fill the vacuum created therein. And you can see that emotion, that bliss on the real Freddie Mercury's face if you go back and look at the Live Aid concert. It's incredible. But if you're listening to this and you're thinking, yes, I want this, I'm well on my way at, on my path of individuation, but I want to go further. I want to go faster. I want to be braver. I want to f- wander deeper into the forest of my own damn self. And you're wondering, how can I do that? What advice does somebody like me have? And first, what I want to say is that if you want to go further, faster, deeper into this work of individuation, it begins with one simple step, and that is Noticing. Just as an experiment for the next 48 hours, I want you to notice how many times a day you make choices based on what other people think of you. Don't change anything, just notice. This may sound simple and silly, but I want you to try it. When I first got serious about my own path to individuation, I wore a rubber band around my wrist and every single time I had a self-conscious thought, meaning I was more worried about what others thought than what I thought, I would snap it on my skin. I don't want to bore you with the details, but for those first weeks, there was a shitload of snapping. happening, <laughs> And I remember thinking like, what a waste of energy. And I also remember feeling kind of ashamed because when all of this was going down, I was in my mid twenties and I kind of considered myself a staunch feminist. And yet here I was worrying about how I looked instead of what I was, you know, contributing. I mean, that's like the oldest trick in the patriarchy handbook. Get these broads to be more concerned about their eyebrows and they'll never run for Congress, right? And yet, so many of my choices were being made through the male gaze, right? Through what other people thought of me. And how could I call myself a feminist, (laughs) right? But I saw that I could have been using all that time and energy, that I was wasting worrying about what other people thought. I could have been using it to write a novel or sing a song or write a song. But no, I was worrying if my hair was right or whether the shoes I chose worked. Usually they did. I I have terrible fashion sense. And I know this all sounds crazy. But for me, individuation began by exploring my own desires. I had to learn how to ask myself what I want moment to moment for the first time in my life. And that experience is how I discovered I was actually an introvert. I had been living a life as an extrovert until my mid-20s because I was doing what I thought my tribe wanted me to do, which was be around people all the time and be the life of the party. And it was only when I stopped and asked myself what I wanted that I discovered I was an introvert, which actually leads you to step two. Once you start noticing yes, I still have this stupid cold. It just won't go away, but I'm doing acupuncture. It's going to get better. Second step, first is noticing. Second is asking yourself what you really want, moment to moment. And when I say what you really want, I don't mean little you. I mean, what does big you want, moment to moment? Back in those days, in my 20s, I was so afraid to be alone. I was constantly surrounding myself with people and noise and action, but then I would have to anesthetize myself with drinking and dancing and running around to cope with all of it. And I remember my therapist asking me at the beginning of our relationship to note how I felt after my first drink of the night when I would go out on the town with my people. Because he was picking up on this need for noise and stimulation and how it was kind of manifesting in binge drinking, honestly. And he said, listen... No need to change anything. Just notice how you're feeling, but then ask what it is you truly want in that moment. You don't even have to take action on it. Just treat it as information. And that advice was powerful. And I'll remember this for the rest of my life. I was at a bar in the marina, sorry, my nose is stuffy, in the marina called the Paragon. Maybe it's still there. We used to call it the Paraguay, because it was mostly dudes. And I'd finished my first cocktail of the night. So I did my homework, just like my therapist said. And I asked myself, What do you want? And do you know what I heard myself say? I want to go home. That one question in that one bar on that one Friday night led me then to a series of choices. One of them being to get an apartment by myself for the first time. Parenthetically, I loved it. Which then sort of created this space in my life of solitude to think and dream and plan in silence in the evenings after work. And eventually it allowed me the mental and enter- energetic space to launch my own consulting business, create a family, fall in love, have the life I have now that brings me so much joy, so much abundance. This gorgeous life opened up for me once I started noticing how often I made choices based on what other people thought, and then dropping in to that space of asking big me what it really wanted, moment to moment. And you know what else at this moment of time that I'm describing? I began to speak with more courage, more authenticity. One of the most exciting parts of starting my own business all those years ago was that I no longer had to sort of uphold and maintain someone else's brand. It was my own brand. I could be unapologetically myself. And in that space, I began to evolve. So if step one is noticing and step two is asking what you really want moment to moment, step three is about replacing self-conscious thoughts with not one, but two new mantras. Are you ready? Here we go. Mantra number one, what other people think of me is none of my business. And mantra number two, my only job is to right? Maybe you're on a walk and your only job is to feel the sun on your skin. Or maybe you're standing in line at Starbucks and your only job is to breathe and be ready to place your very complicated order. Whatever. Just keep returning to the present moment. And as you build momentum, replacing self-conscious thoughts with simple presence, life shows you what to do next. Life shows you what to do next. You don't need the prod of other people's opinions to move your life forward. You just don't. Life, God, the universe, the muse takes it from there and you move forward in the spirit of freedom and individuation and your voice emerges. That's when your voice starts to emerge, strong, powerful, courageous. Did I say fearless? No, I I did not say fearless because I think fearlessness is bullshit. There's no such thing. The next thing I want you to do is to take one action per day that scares you. Do something once a day that feels counter to the messages you've received from your tribe. It could be something as simple and basic as taking yourself out to dinner in a movie alone. The tribe is very sensitive. They, we sort of feel weird doing things by ourselves. Or maybe it's going to that workout class you've been wanting to try, but you feel too afraid and too self-conscious to take. Or sign up for that evening writing class at the community college, even though you know your family will tease you mercilessly for doing that at your age. Or maybe the next time your friend asserts her reference, restaurant preference, you say, actually, I would prefer sushi tonight. Whatever. The size of the act isn't the point. It's the energy of the act of doing that thing that scares you, moving past the pull of the tribe. That's the muscle you're trying to work on. And lastly, the last step I want you to take, feel the pain and discomfort of moving past the tribe. And remember, you're not alone. Breathe into it. Feel, Notice how it feels to transcend the tribe and start using your real voice, your outside voice. Your inside voice should become your outside voice in many cases, right? Notice where you feel the feelings of leaving the tribe in your body, right? Noticing if where a feeling lives in your body is a great way to stay present to that feeling and to learn all there is in that moment from the feeling. So when I get really scared of transcending tribal whatevers, I get this like belly flop and it starts in my gut, goes up to my chest, goes back down to my gut. And that like, now I know that's my feeling I get when I transcend the tribe. Drop into it, notice how it manifests for you in your body. Because here's the thing, there are a million ways to avoid our feelings when it comes to transcending the rules of the tribe. We can suppress them, we can numb them. But individuation asks you to feel your feelings. And if you want to know yourself and find that authentic voice of yours, lean the hell into those feelings. And just when you think those feelings might be too much to bear, remember that it makes you human and you do come out the other side. And I'm convinced it's part of the reason you incarnated is to make choices that add depth and breadth to your experience of earth school. And sometimes earth school is painful, but this is why you came, Right? And listen, even though moving beyond tribal expectations feels incredibly lonely at times, and once you start accessing your voice, it feels terrifying. But remember, you're never alone in this. In fact, you're joining a new kind of tribe, which is kind of more like a wolf pack, right? We run together when it makes sense and we separate and do our own thing when it makes sense. In fact, that's the best kind of tribe. Welcome. We've got you. Go seek us out. We're we're the ones flying our freak flags. But sometimes we're noticeable only because we're not at the tribal gatherings, (laughs) but we're there somewhere. And you know what's extra amazing about all this? Is that most often, once we find our authentic selves and we find our voice and we really start using it and we really start kicking it into high gear, the tribe usually celebrates. The tribe actually loves us. They just are doing the best they can with what they know. And remember that tribe that we're transcending, it's the same tribe that kept us safe for the first portion of our lives. It's the tribe that loved us to the best of their abilities, sometimes very limited, sometimes not at all, sometimes great. But that tribe plays and played a very important role in your life. So as we transcend the tribe, as we move on and we go on this journey of individuation, that tribe become something we cherish and that we feel nothing but love for, but that we knew there came a time we had to move beyond, even if just to visit every so often. So keep that in mind, especially as we get into the holidays here. It reminds me of that amazing quote, if you think you're enlightened, go spend Thanksgiving with your family. (laughs) We already made it through Thanksgiving. So let's go ahead and say Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever celebration your family does. So we love our tribes. We love them hard, but we ain't afraid to move right on past them when the moment comes. Shine on you crazy diamonds. We'll see you next time.